This is an introduction to a series that we're doing. And uh, I'm very thankful at this moment that I don't have to preach the whole series because it has been exhausting for me this week to get my mind wrapped around how to introduce this. So there's a couple of tensions in play here. And I just want to be up front with you. And, and part of that, as uh, Greg shared with you, uh, is that the, the, the inspiration for doing a series on the practices of Jesus uh, and starting off with the Sabbath uh, actually comes from a church that doesn't keep the Sabbath. They are a church out in Portland. And uh, John Mark Comer is a, a wonderfully intellectual and articulate uh, speaker. And he does a, just a smash bang job with anything he talks about. And so... Uh, the teachers have been listening to this series that he preached uh, because it's, a, it's actually really a healthy thing to break out of the, the kind of the wordsmithing that you're used to on a topic and hear somebody approach it from a completely different standpoint. But that immediately introduces tension because um, those of us that have been around the idea of Sabbath for a long time, we like to hear it in a certain way. And so right away we're like, oh, I'm not sure that's right. Isn't that true? It's just like, it could be the same dumb thing, but it's in a different pack. Well, wait a minute. That happens all the time, actually. You go to the store and the company introduces a new package. What do they have to put on there? They put a big label that says, new look. It's like, yeah, I got that. <laughs> Took me 10 minutes to find the dumb coffee. Thank you very much. New look. Oh, but it's the same inside. They always remind you, same inside, same inside. So I've been wrestling with this tension because that's kind of a good illustration for my journey with this topic as I have um, been invited to do it in the light of a, a non-Seventh-day Adventist take on it. So is it the same inside? And I just want to say right now, I think God delights in us thinking. You know, Jesus is called the Word. And what do words do? They communicate, right? That is their purpose. Of course, babies, they try to communicate and they make up their own make-believe words and we love that about them, but it's not communication, right? We don't know what they're trying to say and then slowly, slowly we, we start to understand them. So Jesus is kind of like that. You know, he comes to earth and he's got this mission to be the word of God and, and, the, and the listeners, the listening ear, that is the human race, is anything but ready for his message. And the experts are the ones who have it completely wrong. They're the ones who have the biggest hurdle to overcome when the word shows up, right? One of those things that uh, the, the Pharisees wrestled with was Jesus' concept of Sabbath. And he came out with this just this explosive statement. And people have taken this to, uh, to different conclusions, but he said the Sabbath is not, um, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And I'd like to just throw that out there this morning because I think it's a good way to kind of orient our sales. Um, Sabbath was, I don't think, ever meant to be burdensome. Um, but having said that, there are a lot of things in God's word that are not meant to be burdensome that are still challenging to us. And so with your permission, we're going to enter a series uh, today that challenges our thinking because it's very deep. Uh, but it's not, meant to, um, it's not meant to derail your spiritual journey. 
In fact, it's one of the few things that is actually purely for us in terms of spiritual practice. It's purely for us. Jesus said that exact words, and sometimes we kind of miss that. Sabbath was made for us, right? It should fit like the most comfortable pair of pajamas you ever put on. Okay, some of you don't do pajamas. I can read that in your eyes, okay? <laughs> the most comfortable pair of slippers. Oh, that's good. Let's not all think about that too deeply, okay, shall we? <laughs> Um, I just want to start off with, a, with just kind of a story. Uh, my testimony, I guess, in, I mean, my testimony has been coming out lately, and it's kind of weird because I went through decades, really, or decade at least, of not really sharing it. And, uh, and then sort of I've been given these weird opportunities, um, and it's just kind of tumbled out. And so I thought today I would just kind of tell you that in my mid-20s, uh, I was just basically sold out on secular humanism. And that's a professional term for basically life has only has meaning as much as you impart to it. And so it's important for all people to get together and have try to have good intentions because that's the only way the world is going to get good. And so you try and cheer the people who are doing their best to recycle and whatever it is and you uh, you know you don't have any true um, spiritual north star that you're following. you're just trying to encourage everyone to do the do good. And you kind of leave that up to everybody's conclusion or their, their own definition as to what that is. And you kind of rely on group dynamics to bully people who are not doing your version of good, but you try to do it in a nice way. I don't know, secular humanism. Uh, the, it's basically the, the godless frame of reference that the earth has as a society. And... Um, and we go there because uh, we're uncomfortable as a society with the idea of God being over everyone and the implications of that. Uh, so I was sold out on that. I was just living for me. I had a nice apartment, nice car, had a band, practiced all day Sunday. So it was kind of my religion, really. Um, talked about it. It was everything I always talked about. Invited my uh, workmates to come out and see us and listen to our tapes. And I um, uh, had one girlfriend after another, and uh, to, to the full extent of what that means. Um, and and it, was, it was a very empty experience for me, I realized that. Um, and I was, I was kind of in the, in the dark as, as far as how to fix that. But there was a church right next door to my apartment building, and I at one point thought, well, maybe I'll go into this church, and, and maybe that'll kind of rekindle the the flame of whatever I had as a child. See, I was raised in a Christian home and had very concrete answers for the important questions of life. And now I didn't have any of those. And that was by my choice. Um, so I thought, well, maybe I'll go over there and, and get some answers, as it were. Um, and when I did that, I immediately lost hope. It wasn't anything about the church in particular. I didn't really give it a chance. You know, I was in the building for probably 40, 49 seconds, somewhere right around there. <laughs> I turned out, I left. I don't know what I did that day, but it wasn't going there. And actually, that was kind of the last time, because during college, I'd been raised Lutheran, and during college, I had gone a few times to some local Lutheran churches. That was when I discovered there's different brands of Lutheran. Didn't know that growing up. Um, so, 
And I, just to give you a little background on my spiritual pedigree, so I was raised Lutheran. Uh, the Lutheran high schools in the Chicago area were kind of abysmal scholastically, so I went to a Christian reform, which is Calvin, you know, Luther, Calvin, two big reformers, kind of went like that away from the Reformation. So I went to a Calvinist high school, went to a Catholic university, so rejected the Reformation completely. <laughs> Yes, DePaul University, woo, Blue Demons. What were they thinking? They named their team, Blue Demons. Um, anyway, uh, and then ended up as a Seventh-day Adventist in, um, in my last, my last uh, bit of schooling that I actually finished was, uh, thank you, was actually uh, Masters of Divinity at um, Andrews Theological Seminary. So, you know, so I've sat at the feet of a lot of people, uh, and this topic never came up, this topic that we're starting until the last group. Uh, but in the middle of my, in my, the middle of my 20s, um, I was looking around and uh, uh, I had really bonded with friends all through the progression, but my closest group of friends at the time were really either people from college or high school. Uh, I've since reconnected with people from elementary school, but you know, just through the internet, haven't, haven't actually spent time with them. But right up until a few years ago when we moved down all the way down here to Arkansas, uh, which is just off the face of the earth. For those of you with a northern perspective, you will realize that, but you probably don't see it here. We don't see Arkansas from up north. It's just down there somewhere. Now, of course, I'm, I live here. I love Arkansas. But um, I, uh, I was really close to my batch of friends from, uh, from high school, and so we would do stuff every year together. In fact, a bunch of our birthdays were this month. October was a big month for us. Uh, and three of my friends, it turns out, we had birthdays right in a row, 26, 27, 28. And so that was a perfect excuse to continue to get together was to celebrate our birthdays, which, you know, it became increasingly embarrassing as the years went on because, you know, no longer were we going to celebrate quite with the enthusiasm we used to. It's like, okay, you know, we pictured kind of ourselves ultimately being in a nursing home and getting together and drooling on ourselves, you know, as part of our celebration. But uh, nevertheless... Uh, we would get together, and so uh, on. Um, one of the things we like to do, um, we all loved Michigan. Uh, one of the one of the high school friends ended up relocating there, and his parents had a cabin, and so we would uh, we would go over to Michigan and and hang out at this cabin, and so we did, and we were there for a weekend, and um, uh, so my friends were all uh, Calvinists. Now Christian Reform. Church, they treat Sunday like Seventh-day Adventists treat Sabbath, mostly. I don't know all the theology there, but uh, I remember in high school when I would go over to my friend's house on Sunday, everybody was dressed up. I'm like, what is with this? This is weird. It's because they would go to church in the morning and in the evening. And all between those two services, you just stayed in church mode. You don't change out of church mode, you just stay in church mode. And we had actually experienced that. It was so weird how life works, because we had actually experienced a little bit of that, because when we would go to Michigan as a family growing up, we had a cabin as well, and we would go up there, and we would go to this lake church, uh, which I know is a buzzword for uh, some of the folks uh, that have uh, history here. But we would, uh, we would go to this little chapel, the Gun Lake Chapel, and it was run by the Christian Reformed Church. And they would invite pastors from the Chicago area that knew about my high school and everything else. Anyway, there was always really good biblical preaching, and that's what we loved about it. 
Um, so, uh, when I was uh, visiting uh, these friends at their cabin, uh, it wasn't surprising to me that they uh, wanted to get up and go to church on Sunday. And I hadn't, you know, I hadn't been going to church for, for several years, but I was like, okay, you know. And I could kind of tell that they were doing it a little bit out of guilt, you know, like we're supposed to go. But I was like, whatever, you know, whatever your vibe is, I'm just, you know, I just want to be along. And they had the only transportation to breakfast, which we were going to do right afterwards. So that was a really big incentive. But I'm sitting in that church, and I'm kind of having the same experience that I've been having in my whole spiritual journey, which is, um, you know, it's great that other people are so interested in God, but I just, I just, I need a firsthand experience. That's what I, that's what I was really realized I was holding out for in my heart. Um, in fact, it was, uh, this was actually, this whole weekend situation was actually, I believe, orchestrated by God in answer as, as a first step answer to a prayer I had prayed. And I don't know, I think it was maybe six months earlier. I don't have an exact timeline in my head, but at that moment I had come back from work one day and I was just feeling really miserable at the idea of just the routine of life and the meaninglessness of life. And I just, right before I went into my apartment, I just said a prayer, which wasn't really a prayer, it was just a thought. But I realize now it was a prayer because prayer is defined as things you say that God hears and takes seriously. Uh, so I guess in that matter, most of our thoughts are prayers because God takes us very seriously. We are his children. And I just said to God, if you, if you want me, you're going to have to come and get me. Uh, because I'd had that next door church experience. I'm like, well, that's not, I'm not going there for answers. So I'm sitting in this Christian Reformed church and the guy's preaching and, you know, I'm thinking, well, wouldn't it be great if I had some kind of an aha moment from God? And I'm like, that's oh, not going to happen. I'm just not there. But they had Bibles in the pews. That was a strange thing. Lutherans never did that. But the Christian Reformed church had Bibles in the pews. Imagine that, right? Very biblical people. I really like that. They've got a lot of good teaching radio programs if you're not uh, familiar with some of the, some of the big teaching uh, airwave programs that are out there in general Christianity. A lot of them come from the Christian Reformed church. Anyway. So uh, I pick out the Bible, and I, I just start kind of reading it to myself. It kind of occurs to me, well, if I'm going to have a firsthand experience with God, it's probably going to come, come from here, because, you know, this is, I believe this is where he speaks. At least I had that much going for me. And so the service ended. We went out to breakfast. We had some fun conversations and whatever, and we got back to the cabin, and everybody just piles out into the boats and off onto the lake, and I was just like, oh, you guys, I'll catch you later. And there was a girl there, uh, and this is not about a girl, but she was there, um, and, and she was kind of, um, she was a little different. And that appealed to me. She was weird. And she had a Bible, her own Bible. She had brought it with for the weekend, which was also very weird. So, you know, I said, hey, can I borrow your Bible? She's like, sure, no problem. I don't know what happened to her the rest of the day, but I know what happened to me. I sat down um, under a nice shady tree with a beautiful lake. It was a perfect day. And I just read the Bible. And I just couldn't stop. I just kept reading the Bible. Oddly enough, I read Revelation, which made no sense to me whatsoever. It was kind of entertaining, like popping in a DVD with the latest CG graphics. You're like, wow, that's really wild. And so I, you know, I went through this whole thing. And um, I mean, I read it slowly because you can't read Revelation fast. I mean, you're like, every verse is like packed with all this imagery. And so... I didn't know what to make of it, but I was reading it, and I just kept reading it and kept reading it, and I realized I was really putting myself out there for this. You know, this was really something. And then, 
And then I realized by the time I finished, and this may seem like you couldn't have taken that long, but I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack. It was like nighttime by the time I finished. And my friends were all coming off the lake. Apparently they hadn't missed me or whatever. They're just like, you know, Kabliski's always kind of the, the odd one out. And so we kind of shuffle back into the cottage. And as we do so, I'm experiencing this wonderful just sense of uh, God. And it occurred to me that I had taken a day um, and experienced it with God. I, you know, I don't know why that occurred to me. Uh, it might have been because my parents had left the Lutheran church and joined another one with a strange name. And that all happened when I was living away from the house. And if it had happened when I was in the house, I probably wouldn't be here today. Uh, because God orchestrated things for me to be able to discover things for myself. And if you know me, I have to do that. I have to figure it out for myself. I do not read manuals. I have to figure it out for myself. The hard way. And, uh, and so it wasn't too far of a stretch to say, hey, they might have something. They're doing this every week. Maybe, maybe this is some, there was something to this. Because I hadn't felt like I had missed out on anything. In fact, I thought at that moment everybody else had missed out on something. But I wasn't proud about that, and I wasn't about to say that to anybody. I mean, I wasn't like thinking. That wasn't what made it special. What made it special was just purely the blessing I was having. Do you understand? I didn't have an attitude about it. didn't have any baggage about it. It was just a wonderful experience. And so I tell people my first Sabbath was a Sunday because that's where God met me on this idea of spending a day with him. And that's also why I would say is God wants you to experience Sabbath. And uh, the authors of the curriculum that um, we kind of hastily just dished out to you, um, of course, come from a situation where Sabbath is a very somewhat vague idea. But uh, even though the author and his family keep keep the Sabbath, I mean, they practice Sabbath from Friday night until Sabbath night, and uh, they do so because of the Old Testament um, texts that are clear about the pattern of that in, in, in the life of the Jews, and hence the life of Christ, um, you know, they, they also at the same time have a very open-ended approach to inviting other people to try it. And so I think in that way, this, this curriculum is really perfect for us. Um, because I, you know, as, as much as, and I, and I came to this conclusion once I, you know, and, you know, fast forward ahead, I'm a pastor and everything else, and I came to the, I came to the conclusion that no matter how earnestly I taught something and how convinced I was of something, everybody's drawn their own conclusions. That's the way it is. Everybody's drawn their own conclusions. You can be as in somebody's grill as you want to be, and you are not going to impart to them your personal appreciation for that subject. Am, am I wrong there? It's just not going to happen. So the spirit of this whole thing is very much an invitation to taste and see. It's just an invitation to taste and see. Now, you know, some of you are experts. You could write a book about Sabbath if you sat down and made that your life's calling. I could probably do the same. Um, but as I wrestled with this, um, from the standpoint of how would other people, how do other people look at this? I found it very helpful and very refreshing. Um, 
to ask myself, how, if, 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 if those events were to happen today, how would I react to them? Would I find value in taking time to be with God? Uh, because it's very easy to be a busy Christian. And uh, when, when Christianity uh, came to the West, we spun it into very much a, a works-oriented kind of religion. Um, but I want to say something, and this is probably the, the most important thing today, and that is that Sabbath is, is huge. It's really big. And I think, and I'm gonna, we're going to cover this before the end, but I think there's, there's a really good reason to conclude that. But I want to just look at its beginning, uh, just from a, a very cursory overview uh, basis and just ask a few questions to kind of get your, your brains cogitating on it. So we read about um, Sabbath first in Genesis and <clears throat> it says that um, uh, by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done and he rested on the Sabbath day from all his work which he had done. So let me just break that down for you for a minute. The, the word rested is actually the Hebrew word Sabbath. So he Sabbathed, if you, want to take, if you want to make it literal. Why does the writer of Hebrews choose this? Well, surely he's part of a tradition that understands Sabbath, so he chooses that Hebrew word. But also, it's basically the word for what he did. Sabbath just means to stop. Now that's really weird, because we think of Sabbath as rest, but Sabbath basically means stop. Now think about how different those things are. And there's, there's a lot of similarities, right? When you are exhausted, you stop. And you call that rest. But it's only rest because you've been working and now you're resting. But stopping applies to all kinds of stuff, right? That you don't need rest from. And God didn't need rest, right? As an omnipotent being, I'm guessing we're probably pretty clear on that. And so the fact that God did this thing and then made a point to make it known, says something about God. And that's the thing that hit me fresh this week, that stopping and making a big deal of it says something about who God is. What does it say? I'm so steeped in tradition, I'm having trouble, I'm like swimming to the surface. How can I get the fresh air to answer that question for myself. I mean, I'm so full of Bible studies and evangelistic sermons and just the own, my own practice. How do I reach that, that bubble where God is gonna tell me, you know, this is why? Because it doesn't say anything about the people involved, right? It doesn't say God announced to Adam and Eve. It didn't say God prescribed this for Adam and Eve at that moment. It just says God did that, right? So if God did that, just like he chose to create our world, which at some point, you know, somebody could have interviewed him. You're going into this big creation thing, God. How do you think it's going to go? You know, what's your motivation there? You know, I don't know what he would have said. What exactly would he have said? But nevertheless, after he does it, he says, I stopped. Now, theologically, I have a lot of answers for this. <laughs> but I just, want to, I just want us to stop and experience the curiosity of asking God, what do you mean by this thing? Because I think that's one of the, the high points of actually seeing Sabbath through somebody else's eyes, for me, has been they don't have this, they don't have this chorus of evangelists 
singing in their head. They're just experiencing it from the Bible. Uh, in fact, uh, John Mark Comer, who uh, is the pastor out there, made it pretty clear that <laughs> he did not have any kind of impression about Sabbath, and he definitely did not get any impression from Seventh-day Adventists, which you know is kind of to our chagrin that we go around doing something and we don't really have a lot to say about it other than you also should do it. But God did it when there were no Seventh-day Adventists, and it doesn't even say that he taught the people to do it at that point. So what does it say about God? That he stopped and made a big deal about stopping. And I think one of the themes that you pick up later on is that God, uh, and it actually says it in the verse, it says, um, he rested from all his work, which it says that he, sorry, by the seventh day he completed his work. So this idea that God finished is a, is a major theme about who God is. Now why is that so important? Well, it means that sin, which came after this moment, is completely unjustifiable. The Bible calls it the mystery of iniquity. There's no explanation for it because everything was perfect. Nothing could be added. It was finished. That's, that's one of the important aspects of finished is nothing more coming down the pike. No more packages from Amazon. You have it all. <laughs> Imagine that, right? UPS man shows up to just say, how are you enjoying everything? I... I brought you everything. But that's what God did. He brought everything. He gave us everything. So sin is completely unjustifiable. And it is an in-your-face, obvious question of who God is. Who do you think you are? We've got something else. So it really puts humanity in context. When God says, I've made everything, and it's very good, and then he stops for a whole day. Um, and, you know, it's not surprising that when this becomes normative for the nation of Israel via the Ten Commandments, that the rationale is the same. The rationale for us to do it in the Fourth Commandment is that God did it. And so we are invited to be like God. Because God did it, he invites us to do it. So whatever it was, I'm guessing it was really good for God. And, you know, you could look at, well, the, God's last day was our first day. His last day of work was our first day. You know, he made us on the sixth day. So really the first full day we experienced was what? Was the seventh day. God says, whoopee. I have people. I got to be with my people. So, you know, you could draw the conclusion that God wants to spend time with us, unbroken connection with us. As the result, that is, that is what all of this has been leading up to, right? All of this planets and stars and waters and earth and creeping things. All of this is a buildup to spending time with us. I think that's another uh, important takeaway from, from what stopping means. God says, I am spending time with you, but I'm done making you. And let that sink in a little bit. Because God does not spend his first 24 hours with humanity 
to try to convince us of anything. We don't have any record of an indoctrination or a seminar on now how to be. I mean, he gives us some basic instructions, right? It doesn't say God just left us in the dark. But God stopped making. And so God really, at that point, he considers us sort of equal. And he certainly treats us that way through the rest of Scripture. It's a, it's a friendship, kind of a communion with God. And somehow we need to remember that. And so Sabbath somehow invites us to have that kind of blessed communion with omnipotence. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, you know, how, how is that? How does an infinite being take so much delight in something so completely finite? And then, <laughs> after sin, we have you know, thousands of years of all kinds of communication that God does in many and various ways, as the New Testament says. And we have salvation, and then we have this amazing revelation again of who God is at the cross. At the cross, God says, I got this. Right? You don't. You need rescue. I've got this. And so he takes it all, the whole burden of everything that happened since Adam and Eve distrust, mistrusted him and all the actions that followed from that from that thought process, takes it all on himself and everything afterwards until he finally deals with the ultimate um, leaders of that rebellion, the unseen forces. He takes all of humanity's burden on himself and he says, it is finished. And then he stops again for 24 hours and you know what day it was. So there's this strong, strong revelation of God as creator and redeemer that inextricably are tied to this concept of Sabbath. So do you see why I say Sabbath is huge? Sabbath is huge because Sabbath is tied to who God is. And if we want to know who God is, we're going to have to wrestle with this idea of Sabbath. And if you think you know what the Sabbath means and you're totally clear on it, then you might as well say, I know God, and I don't need to learn anything else. That's my takeaway this week. And that's why I'm, when I showed up this morning and somebody said, how are you doing? I said, I'm dizzy. I am dizzy. And they said, busy? I said, no. <laughs> I wish I was busy. I'm just dizzy. I, I'm dizzy with a swirl of how vast God is and how the Sabbath is this weird intersection of this multidimensional outside-of-time being crossing over the pathway of humanity. Not just once at creation, not just twice at the cross, but every week. Now that says something amazing about God. It says a lot about us, but it only says about us really what it says about us in relationship to God, right? Because God is huge, and that's why the Sabbath is huge. 
I want to finish with a passage, and this is what I alluded to earlier, that I really, I really feel is the reason why whatever, uh, whatever hesitancy you might have at this point about just saying, you know, this is worth a second look in my life, this is worth a fresh look, even as someone who feels fairly convinced and comfortable, is the chapter in Hebrews, uh, chapter 4. Now, chapter 4 blows Sabbath way open. Chapter 4 says Sabbath is much more than a day. Now, I love uh, what John Mark, uh, John Mark Comer said in his sermon. He said, Sabbath is way more than a day, but it's not less. I thought, oh, that's really, that's profound. Because when, when we go to take principles away from something, we might be tempted to say, well, the thing itself doesn't matter. And we could be tempted to do that. And there's been whole branches of Christianity. In fact, in Jesus' day, there was the philosophizers, and you read about Paul confronting them, who sat around wanting some new thing. And they had this allegorical interpretation of Scripture that said, nothing is really literal. It's all just what it's trying to teach you. So, I don't think that's healthy, because that would mean, well, the cross teaches us about the love of God, but the cross never really happened. It just teaches us about God's love. Well, that's like my, me saying, well, I'm a great guy, because I put $1,000 into each of your bank accounts. And you're like, you're right, you are a really great guy, but guess what, I really didn't. I was just using it as an example, right? And you're like, well, yeah, whatever, thanks. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't have the interpretation, you can't have the application without the without certain things literally happening. Um, and so Hebrews really expands this idea of Sabbath. It pushes it way out to the very edges of almost our entire Christian experience. And, and I may be tempted, uh, I may be tempted to hyperbole sometimes, especially when I'm speaking up front. But this is really not the case here. Um, and, and this is why. Uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 4, I just want to read one verse. It's very short. Verse 9 says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, I've heard people apply this to say, See, seventh day still applies to us. Uh, that may be true, but this is not the verse to, to demonstrate that. Um, this verse uses a word that doesn't exist anywhere else in the New Testament. The word that is translated Sabbath rest, I'm not even going to say it because I'll probably get it wrong, sabbatismos, it's a, it's a form of the word Sabbath, but anyway, um, it is a one-of-a-kind word. You can't look somewhere else and say, well, what did the writer of Hebrews mean by that? Because it says it over here, oh, I can kind of get a better idea. No, you're left in the dark. But the format of that word is kind of the format of adding some letters to the end of the word Sabbath. And we do that a lot too. In fact, if I add the, the letters ISM to something, it makes it larger than life, right? I'm an Adventist, but if I talk about Adventism, I'm talking about something big, right? Bigger than a person, probably a movement or a religion. And those are the three letters, basically, that the writer of Hebrews adds to Sabbath rest. He said, there remains a Sabbatism for the people of God. There is something in the room 
about Sabbath that is not going to leave when it comes to the Christian church. Now, I think that's probably what hit this pastor out west for him to make this a big deal in his church. Um, But it certainly makes us stop and wonder, well, wait a minute, if Sabbath is that big, maybe we should look at it again, right? Which is, I hope, maybe your conclusion. There remains Sabbatism. Now, if you read Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll break it down very quickly for you, but I hope you'll read it yourself if you haven't read it recently, because it's kind of mind-blowing. It basically says that Christians are essentially people who stop. We're basically defined as people who stop. And I bet you've never heard Christianity defined that way. I certainly never had. But I'm reading this and I'm thinking, that's what it says. It basically says we are Christians because we have stopped from our work. We have stopped from our work. Now, that means two things. Number one, we've stopped from relying on our works to save us. Hey, that's good news, right? (laughs) But it also means we've stopped from all of our wicked works. When Jesus finished his Calvary Sabbath, he was dead for 24 hours. That's the invitation that the writer of Hebrews is inviting us to. And it, it, it introduces a paradox of scripture that I am not going to resolve for you, but I, I urge you to think about it. God loves me so much, but he wants me to stop being the me that sin has made me to be. That doesn't mean he doesn't love me any less. And that's totally unlike how we treat other people. When we don't like them, we just don't like them, right? We don't have a plan for making them better unless we're married to them. And then we realize that plan is never going to (laughs) work. And so some of those experiments end. But the way God loves us is he loves us. He loves the us who's really us, the us who are free completely from all the stains that his enemy has thrown upon us. And really that's, God just looks at sin as vandalism. It's not a problem that we can deal with. We've been vandalized. He's like, I'm here to restore it all, but I want you to look through my eyes at who you are. And I want you to hope in that picture of you Sabbatism is about stopping. So stop. Dear God, we thank you that there's uh, still something for us to learn in our journey with you. I pray, Lord, that uh, if I've said anything confusing or open-ended, that you would um, just take up where uh, you left off this morning. After all, you don't just uh, want us for a church service. Uh, You want us forever. We look forward to what we'll learn about you next and what we'll continue to learn about you as we spend the eternity you paid for with you. Thank you for Sabbath, Lord. And uh, whatever that means to us right now, we pray that you will take us the next step 
and all that it could mean. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.